Amen. Galatians chapter 5 in your Bibles. And uh, finishing up chapter 5, starting in chapter 6. And uh, excited for this. Your love of Christ in action. And uh, we just spoke, we just finished up last week, the fruit of the Spirit, a wonderful study there. And uh, there's two essentials that will be highlighted here and uh, in verses 24 through 26, but we're going to look at verses 24 through chapter 6, verse 2, we're hoping to get through tonight. Verse uh, 24 of Galatians chapter 5, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing, and we'll continue our study tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, Lord, I yield tonight to thee. I need your help. I ask that you'd work through my mind, my thoughts, and every word that is said. Father, I pray that you are pleased in the singing, and uh, Father, that our hearts would be stirred uh, ever more closer to our blessed Savior. Lord, you take over tonight. We commit it to thy care. We love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God calls us here, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. There must be a crucifixion of the flesh with the affections and lusts. And he's saying the fruit of the Spirit cannot be generated in your own energy. You see, the Judaizers, those who are uh, uh, implying and teaching that the people must follow all these particular Jewish laws to merit God's favor, uh, and they said, well, if you follow all of these rules, then you'll be able to restrain your evil. If you do A, B, C, D, down the line of all these particular rules, then you will not give in to your flesh. The problem is, in this idea of this, and you know what, what you find is the more you try to put all these rules on, the more your flesh is going to desire to break the rules. Uh, we find that, and, and you're like, hey, I can't do this. Well, watch me. Right? Or uh, there's certain things. I remember uh, a number of years ago, there was some, you know, some boundaries or whatever, and I'd always try to find the loopholes. And, and you know what? I always realized, hey, you know what? If you're trying to change your life in the flesh by human methods, human systems, even biblical principles of separation, but biblical principles of separation done in your own power. The fruit of the Spirit cannot be produced by any human efforts to keep the commandments. If we try to, we only produce a greater longing in our flesh. So now you have your flesh trying to restrain your flesh, and your flesh wants to be satisfied while your flesh is trying, it wants to be satisfied while you're saying, I know it's not right, but yet I'm going to hold myself back. And you're going to go for a while, and someone might say, you know what, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to reform my life. And they try for a while and they're successful, but there's going to come something in their life where they're no longer able to, in the strength of their own, of their own abilities, to restrain 
from giving in. Hence, many relapses of, of various things because we're trying to do it in our own power. And it tells us, and they that are Christ have crucified. Now, you know, God's answer to all of the, our lusts, the flesh, all its passions, is to crucify. Now, the very figure of crucifixion, it has the idea that uh, very painful death, put himself. A man can put him, a man or a woman can put themselves to death in any way, in many ways. I mean, I, you can name the, the ways that someone can put themselves to death in, in suicide. But for crucifixion, you can't crucify yourself. Someone has to put you on that cross. The figure here is that someone else does the putting to death. Who does it? God puts to death your passions and lusts. How? We identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. God has put us to death, buried us, and raised us again into newness of life. And the Apostle Paul would talk about the power of the resurrection. So at the moment we receive the Savior, we are positionally in that good, uh, positionally we're right before God. But it's that day in and day out uh, living wherein my flesh wants to do the very things that please me. Now, the flesh, as we've discussed here, the flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. It is impossible. So if you think about this, the flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. So if you are seeking to follow all these religious rules to change your life, you're going to come up short. Well, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. But if you're trying to do it, you have to do it with the Spirit of God. God is the one you yield yourself to being crucified, where God says, listen, I'm willing to put, I submit fully to God, I put myself death to my will, and I want his. You see, then God, in his ability to help you, will help you overcome the very things you can't overcome because you're trying to change your flesh with fleshly abilities, and you don't have it. The answer is, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in. And this idea of living in the Spirit is not a boastful, arrogant way. F.F. Bruce, uh, he thinks that, let me read this, that perhaps they were expressing this kind of behavior and challenging, you know, maybe what's going on there in Galatia, they're challenging each other to a, a theological debate, but the peace of the Galatian churches was already upset by all these Judaizers. People are saying, I'm going to fix my life. You can't fix your life. Just as much as you can't get to eternal life, you can't fix your daily life. You can't fix your thinking. It's Christ. It's living in the Spirit. And the answer is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. How do you live in the Spirit? As God gives you instructions on things to do. But not only this instruction, but it's also a submission to what God calls you to do. Number one, there ought to be in your life a daily habit of spending time with God in his word. Because I want to be in communication with him. I want to live in the spirit. 
Now, if you are living to, if your aim is I'm going to live to please myself and I'll put God in there and, and, and as I have time, I'll, I, I will do what I need to do. You see, your living for yourself cannot change. You have to fundamentally be transformed by the Spirit of God. That happens at salvation. But the process of yielding to God through your entire life, there's all those various areas in your life of sin and things we've built up in our lives, habits that we have formed that cause us to not be right with God. These habits... They must be submit, they must be acknowledged as sin, and you must submit it to the Lord. So this walking in the Spirit is a submission to God, submission to His Word. The Spirit of God will lead and guide your very thoughts if you're willing to listen. But if God tells you, you know that you're supposed to be in the Word of God, not just reading it, I'm saying meditating on it, because I need His instructions. As we said on Sunday morning, through wisdom is in house builder there in Proverbs 24. I need wisdom for every aspect of life. I want to know Him. I want a relationship with Him. I want that communication with Him. And as you think on these very things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness, as you think on all these various uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and these are all are the personality of God. God will never deny His nature. And we see from an example on this, the Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, let's look at a few things about the Lord Jesus Christ. His entire nature, his entire life was always consumed with doing the Father's will. That is the key. And you might be saying, Pastor, are you kidding me? Is that really... And I'm saying, yes, it is. Look with me at John chapter 8, verse 28. We'll come back here. Look at a few passages here in John. John chapter 8. This is where an individual, they said, I'm going to change my life. And for a while, they're pretty successful. Or so it seems. But there's going to come something that will tempt you and there's going to be a fall. Now, not everyone has the same temptations. But we all have temptations. Satan might tempt you with something that would have no effect on me, but he can tempt me with something that may not affect you. But he knows us. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Then saith Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Men, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Now what does He say here next? For I do always those things that please if you take note of the last word, please, the last two words, please him. Your heart 
is resolutely set on making sure God is pleased with what you're doing. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I always do those things that please Him. You see, if you're doing it in pleasing the Father, it's like our daughter might, or I might, or something that my parents would ask me as a young kid, ask me to do something. You can do it, but you can do it with a bad attitude. That's not going to be pleasing. But God's desire is that you do it with the entire intent of all your heart to please Him. When you think on this very thing of pleasing God, look with me at John 14, 10. So in this crucifixion of the flesh, you've got to say, I want, I must deny my will. And I want to do what the Spirit of God leads and guides as he does so through his word. He'll convict you through his word, through preaching, through your own meditation. In John 14, 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Jesus, very well, I mean, he's saying, I do everything that the Father wants me to do. Jesus never acted independently of his Father. The Lord Jesus was co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, self-existent. He was God in the flesh. But he never deviated with his own will apart from the Father. The fruit of the Spirit was produced in Jesus' life from the moment of his birth to the moment of his, resur- of his death and eventually his resurrection. Now, when I ask is, you think about this regenerated humanity. Look with me at John 15. We're going to read the first 11 verses. The aspect of being crucified with Christ is a resignation of your will. And this is where the large portion of professing Christianity fails because they want to still be in charge of their life. They want to do life their way. And God gives them clear principles to protect you, but you don't accept these principles that God gives to protect you. And and, and as a result, you're still assuming the throne of your life. You're not crucified. John 15, 11, John 15, verses 1 through 11, 1, yeah, uh, verse 1 of John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. That would be like a farmer there. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. God allows trials in your life that you can bring forth more fruit, right? Now you're clean through the word, which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. 
And men gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full." abiding here he is asking us to be so connected like a branch to a vine a branch to a tree trunk where every all of the vitality all of the growth all of the nutrients of that branch are sustained from the trunk or the vine there is an absolute dependence on that vine that branch has no will of its own because the moment it asserts its own independence, it dies. And that's exactly what happens in the Christian life. If I am independent of Christ, independent of the Spirit of God working and leading in my life, I die. And as I live in the Spirit, I can then walk. In the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And, and you know what? There's a contrast here. Verse 25, living in the spirit, and then not living in the spirit, you're envying and provoking in conflict. We always know in the scriptures, conflict is a result there of pride. <clears throat> and in, in some party or both or wherever. But as you see this, they that are Christ, this is God's expectation, have crucified the flesh. Your affections, your lusts, your passions, you say, Lord, I want you to direct my passions. I want you to direct my desires for life. You see, the very times when you're there wherever you're at in your personal closet before the lord your personal time you're spending time with him to be connected to the vine as you go throughout your day and potentially certain things are coming across your mind you you just continue to have that always that access to the lord where maybe you're just talking with the lord throughout your day they might and I'm not saying necessarily out loud wherever you're at, but I mean you're doing things for work, and, and the, you know might, something might come across your mind, and you thank the Lord for it, or you ask the Lord for it. But I mean you're maintaining that communication because I want to abide. Because if we don't abide spiritually, we're dying. The moment, like if I bring my wife flowers, the moment they cut those flowers from the roots. They're dying. The moment a branch is cut off from a tree, it's dying. Now, some branches, I think you can plant them in and they'll regrow or whatever, but you can graft them, cut them, and graft them into another tree somehow, and you can put them on there in a wet, you know, you can make them, you can graft one branch into another tree. But if that branch is not attached to the trunk, or the vine, it'll die. And as our 
in our Christian life, in a, a metric, if you're thinking, in my life, why, and, and you're just feeling internally, I'm dying or I'm empty, then what's happening is, I'm not abiding. I'm trying to still do it on my own. We have a wonderful Savior with everything that we need. Life and breath. Talk about the good shepherd, Psalm 23. Leadeth me beside the still waters. He takes me to the, the very green pastures. The food and the nourishment that I need if I abide. The moment I remove myself, assert my own will, assert my own way, I die. Die internally. The crucified life is a life that is yielded and submitted under God's authority. Now, as you look in verse chapter 6, we move on here. He, before he gets to this interpersonal relationships here in the church, he deals with a lot of the doctrine, then he deals with living in the spirit, not living according to the flesh, not living in the, you know, live in the spirit, abide in Christ, that, those truths. And then he begins to get, in chapter 6, the last chapter of Galatians, he begins to deal with interpersonal relationships. He begins to deal with accountability. He begins to look at, uh, you know, just a love of others. And there is a love that will woo us sympathetically. Love is the law of life. And Paul demonstrates this about a backsliding brother, brethren, if verse 1 of Galatians 6, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye, which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Now, there's probably a number of squabbles going on here in the church of Galatia, because you do have these legal, you have these Judaizers in there. And you think about various things that are going on, and, <clears throat> you know, when you think about the story of Abraham and Lot, and Lot went with Abraham, and the, Abraham and, and Lot's, you know, kind of their servants started to squabble amongst each other and started fighting, and and Abraham didn't want any more fighting, so he said, Lot, you can either have this land or this. You tell me what land you want, and I'll go to the other. Because he didn't want strife. Because Abram was content, he wanted there to be peace. Now, Lot's, Lot had a very prompt and selfish reaction, and he chose the greenest land, which would also be the destruction of his own family. He didn't think very spiritual. Lot was a man that lived for his flesh. Lot was a man that lived for the here and now. He lived for what seemed good, felt good, just seemed logical uh, without ever going to the Lord. But except the surrender or compromise of doctrine, but he says here, you know, brethren, if a man. So there is a courteousness, there's a, a consideration of someone going in a direction away from the Lord that you know, because of the spiritual state where you're at, is going to destroy them. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, when he chose his disciples, in Matthew chapter 4, he walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon Peter and Andrew, and they were fishing. 
There were some brothers in Matthew 4, 21. James, the son of Zebedee, and John. And, you know, these men had, they were some rough men. They fought a lot. They could have fought a lot and had a lot of things that they were working through. Solomon would tell us in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. There's a mutual love, respect, and assistance behind this language here. And understanding someone is overtaken in a fault. You're coming as a brother, not as a judge. You're coming with the intention of getting the person who has fallen aside. This fault here is a falling aside or a backsliding. And uh, there's, you know, the, the disobedience of Adam, if you think about, is described in this offense or falling aside. Romans 5.15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded into many. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And the verse goes on, but <clears throat> someone has given in to the works of the flesh, and they're falling. I've had it individuals, they, and even you know, in our own lives and, and in the past in my own life, you know, it's like, oh man, I gave in to the flesh. I gave in. I knew I shouldn't have done it. And you want to know the most disastrous thing we can do as a believer? If someone comes to that recognition, you idiot! Don't you know that's not good? It's not going to help the person. He says, if a man be overtaken to fault you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. The Judaizers would look at it and say, uh-oh, you've messed up, we're kicking you out. Man, we're giving you the boot right off the bat. We don't want you here. You're not like us. You don't total the, toe the line just like us. But he says overtaken. The idea of overtaking there is they now no longer have the ability to escape. They're in trouble. They've been captured by sin. They've given in. Whether this is moral or doctrinal, they have given in and are overtaken. And that idea of overtaken means to be found out or detected. They've been, they're caught. They're off, caught off guard. Someone has gone into a state and they're struggling, and maybe they don't even know they're struggling yet. They just know something's off. Christian, our desire is always to get someone back on the path towards the Lord. It's not to beat them down or bring them into a position of submission, the goal is restoration. 
That's the goal. Now, if they re- totally refuse it, obviously the Bible gives us directions on that. But this idea of restore, much like James and John, as they were mending their nets, that mending or refixing their nets. The same idea, same word. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Hebrews 11.3 tells us this. It is, they use, the Greeks would use this word to describe the action of a physician setting a broken bone. Have you ever broken a bone and then they had to pin it in place and put it back together and put a cast over it? He says, brethren, ye which are spiritual, restore. Now, I understand there's, I was going, but there's various ideas here. We can all be caught off guard. We can all have a, we can all mess up. And Christ's endeavor and command in Scripture is to restore. Now, if it's, you know, various things like when Jesus did with the Pharisees and they were in the temple selling and buying, you know, they were hurting God's name, they were hurting the temple, they were hurting the worship of God. That's a totally different story. But in this case, someone here in Church of Galatia, they've fallen, whether moral or doctrinal, whatever the case, and he says, restore them. And then he tells us something in this idea of ye which are spiritual. Ye which are spiritual is noting someone who is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, right? And it goes on. And they do so tenderly, with compassion, calmly, gentleness. Not beating it on someone, but just saying. In Luke chapter 10, look with me here. So before he gets to this place of restoring someone, Jesus talks, the Bible tells us about being crucified. Or spiritual. Because if you're spiritual or walking in the Spirit, you can help restore or bring someone to Christ. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus answering said, A certain man, Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 30, apologize. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, in both of these instances, you have a priest and a Levite, individuals that were supposed to be the leaders representing the worship of God. But lest these leaders dirty their life up by interacting with someone who is damaged and hurt, they don't want, they have their, they know what they're doing in life, they know where they're going, they don't want to stop to help because it's going to be inconvenient. They don't want to stop to help because they'll get dirty. You know, sometimes when you're ministering to other individuals, there's some messy situations. 
But our Bible tells us, and the Word of God, and our, the Lord tells us, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. This is spiritual. Now, I have preached a sermon on this a number of times, my wife can tell you, from this passage of Scripture in the past. But a Samaritan was an individual that was part Jew and part uh, Gentile, and they were not well liked, especially by the Jews. It doesn't tell us whether this traveler was Jewish himself or not. It would have even been even more repulsive for a Samaritan to help a Jew. Because the, the, the Samaritans were regarded by the Jews as dogs in that culture. But the, the religious people would not get themselves dirty. And you know what, and in our own church here, as I think on this passage of Scripture, I've had individuals with all certain types of lifestyles, and they said, am I welcome there? I'm like, come, come. Because in church, there ought to be, in a spiritual state, our desire is to get them to Christ. And I know sometimes there's a stigma. If I go to church, everyone's going to judge me. And, and, and Satan puts that lie into your head. But I hope it's not the case here. You know, we all have our faults. We're all trying to move forward. But if we're spiritual, we're saying, listen, I, I'm not better than them. I just want to serve Jesus, and I want to help restore someone else. And as they're restored, they'll help restore someone else. And they'll keep restoring. As people get restored, then they can help others. And you multiply, if you want to think about it, an army of individuals who are restoring people. And hallelujah, we're doing what God's called us to do, restoration. And then he tells us something here in Galatians. I'm, you, you're spiritual, but you do it in the attitude of meekness. You know what meekness? It disarms. In an atmosphere, no blame. Not that I'm accepting of a, an individual's fall or the sin. I'm not, I don't accept the sin, but I accept the person. Because we could all fall. He tells us that, considering thyself. Listen, but by the grace of God, I could be in a horrible condition. He says you come in meekness. You want to disarm that thinking. Like when individuals, you know, and, and as I go various places in town and talk with certain individuals and you know, there's sometimes when an individual is caught, sometimes in an, if they're caught in an addiction, they're caught in a way of life, and, and they're like, no one, they're not going to accept me, or other churches have treated people poorly. The idea is not of what people have done, but I want to come in the meekness and the humility of Christ and say, hey, how can I help to get them to the very healing waters where they can abide in Christ? He says, consider yourself. We could be in the same place this person could be. 
A spiritual person will be quick to see a brother's peril and their need. Ever mindful that, hey, I'm frail. I could fall into sin at any time. And so could you if I don't abide in Christ. Many counselors and many pastors and many leaders, they're helping people, but they fail to continue to abide in Christ. They abide in Christ, restore some people, and then they begin to lean to their own understanding. They begin to lean to their own knowledge and wisdom, and they're no longer abiding. Well, if you're not abiding, you can't restore to Christ where you're not abiding. I'll finish up there tonight. It tells us about bearing one another's burdens. But my friend, if we are to do the work of the ministry, you have to be crucified with Christ. Now that is not a physical crucifixion. That is a crucifixion where you allow God to put to death your will. You resign your will and say, God, I'll do it your way. And with that, then you get the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, where you can deal with being provoked and, and without responding inappropriately. Meekness, gentleness, goodness, temperance, meekness, right? All those. You can manifest, you can evidence those in your life. I'm telling you, Christian, this is exciting. I love the Word of God. I love this passage of Scripture. A very man in my own life, the best man in my wedding. He was quite a bit older than me. I was, I think, in my 20s. He was in his, I would say, late, mid to late 40s, mid 40s. And he's now with the Lord, died of cancer, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And you know what he did? in that time when I was really struggling, he took me under his wings and began to just spend some time with me, and he had a family, and I didn't spend a ton of time with him, but I would talk with him after church and those sorts of things. But he helped restore me. I realized there were some things that I was working through and struggling with. I didn't quite have answers. But I was continually led into the answers of the Word of God for a sweet retreat. Being restored. You know what, Christian? This is an exciting thing. Your love of Christ in action is a desire. There's going to be a lot of messy things in lives of people that you'll interact with. And God has called us as His image bearers to restore, to bring before the love of our Savior. As I draw this to a close and conclusion this evening, invitation period. If you want to be fruitful for Christ and you want to have God's blessings and God's hand on your life, it is a requirement to be crucified with Christ putting aside your passions and lusts, you say, Lord, 
I really want to do this. I know it's not right, so I need your help to fix. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your power to overcome this. And then, as you grow in the Lord, and as God works in your life and helps you overcome things, you'll be able to help others to be restored into the loving arms of our Savior. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, I want to challenge you. Number one, are you abiding in Christ? Number two, if you say, yes, I am, are we helping restore? It's not to destroy anyone, but to restore The Bible gives us various things. So number one, are we abiding? Number two, is our endeavor to allow the Lord to use us to restore the lives of others who are being destroyed by sin? Or maybe you're here this evening, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'd encourage you, if you're watching this evening, you've never accepted Christ. It's not about how good, it's not about the law. You'll never get to God in your own works or your own strength. You must simply accept that Jesus paid it all. And he alone is the only one that can get you to God, get you to heaven, get you forgiveness. Because of his sacrificial gift, he did it all. He submitted his will and his death on that cross. His submission was my restoration. You must submit your will and see what God will do with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, if there's anything preventing you from that submission of will before our Heavenly Father, I encourage you tonight to let go. To let go. Don't hold on. When you're done praying, look up, and I'll conclude in a word of prayer this evening.